everyone, and welcome to another episode of Bible Ask Live, where we answer your Bible questions live here on our weekly show. My name's Tina with my friends Jane and Wendy. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hello. Hello. We're great. How about you? Oh, too blessed. I'm more blessed than I deserve, so I'm very grateful to be here with you all, and I'm grateful that you guys are here too. Um, I know there's been a few episodes where you've had to leave us, and it's like, no, <laughs> we need Jane and Wendy, so I'm so glad you guys are able to make it tonight, and we're grateful for all of you guys, our viewers out there. We want to welcome you, and thank you for joining us, and we just want to say that if this is your first time joining us, uh, welcome. This is a live show, so if you have any comments, questions, or anything you want to share, just say a shout out, say hi where you're from. Uh, go ahead and put it down below in the comment section. We love hearing from our audience and just you know getting to know you guys a little bit better and just having some dialogue. It's a lot of fun when we get to have some live questions. So again, if you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, um, I think we're on Twitter now too, uh, be sure to go ahead and put your comments and uh, questions or anything you'd like to share down in the comment section below. And we love interaction, interacting with you all. As you can tell, this is live. So sorry about that. And um, yeah, so I know we have quite a few questions. And so, you know, if just also if you're new, um, our questions come in from our viewers. And if you want to submit, formally submit one of your questions to be featured on our show, be sure to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. And we would love to answer um, and give attention to your uh, and feature your question on our weekly show. So uh, with that being said, should we go ahead and get started with a quick word of prayer? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for getting us through this work week and for this opportunity that we can now come together to dive into your word. And we pray that your spirit will guide us into your truth, open it up to your wonderful words of love. And may we walk away this evening transformed and closer to you. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for that. All right, Wendy, are we ready for our first question? Let's do it. Let's get that first question up. All right. So Robert is asking, what does 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15 mean? Does it have something to do with the judgment seat of Christ? Well, Robert, that is a wonderful question, and I really appreciate you asking it. Um, I, would, I don't know if you're the same, Robert, who's been giving us quite a few questions. We're, we're just grateful that you are and that you have so many wonderful questions about the Bible. Um, be sure to keep them coming. We, we love having them. So First of all, let's go to 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15, just so everybody um, has an idea of um, the verses that you are talking about. And let me just make sure, sorry, I want to make sure I put this in the New King James Version, just FYI, that's the version I'll be reading from. So 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 through 15, and the Bible reads here, if I can see it, sorry. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. So this is Paul speaking here, and he's talking about basically um, the foundation of the gospel, what he's preaching to the people. Um, and then we can go ahead and keep reading. Sorry, I just wanted to give you a little background, kind of what's going on in the context of these verses or this, especially this verse in particular. So it goes on to say in verse 11, if we want to get that up, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. And we can go to verse 12 too. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it, that day being Jesus. Jesus is um, called the day star because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work for of what sort it is. And then it goes on in verse 14. If anyone's work, which he has built it on it endures, he will receive a reward. And the last verse of this section says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be will be saved yet so as through fire. So basically what Paul is talking about um, here in this passage is in, um, he's talking about his preaching of the gospel and his ministry of evangelism. Uh, I wouldn't say so much as talking about the 
a physical seat or throne of Christ, but it is alluding to a future judgment. And so that is, you're on the right track um, That uh, as far as, you know, kind of what the context is. And actually, I really like this because um, this is probably one of, I. it's honestly one of my favorite passages of the Bible. And so I um, actually want to go back a little bit to just give you a little bit of context to make sure you know that, yes, what I'm saying is true, that I, I do believe that this is more having to do with um, the, sorry, like the, the sharing of the gospel more than, than anything else. And so if you go to verse four, one, two, three, four, sorry, for whatever reason, my um, Bible isn't numbering the the verses uh, tonight. So I'm sorry, one, two, three, four. So um, because the context of what actually is going on here in this passage is that Paul was preaching and he was um, kind of reprimanding some of his people in Corinth because some people were going, oh, well, I'm from Paul or I'm from Apollos, which was a different um, evangelist back in his time. And so he's like, why are you guys basing your faith on people? That's not the point. The point is Jesus. And so if you go, like I said, to verse four, Jesus says, for one says, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, but you are, are you not carnal? Like you're, you're acting like a, you know, like carnal people, like an unsaved people, because our, the point, like I said, isn't being about, you know, that's like saying, oh, I was saved by Billy Graham. It's like, well, I was saved by blah, 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 you know, like these person, but it, it doesn't matter because your salvation is not in a person. Your salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. And so when he goes on to say, um, and I'll just look at verses five and six, it says, who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom you have whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. He's like, I'm just a man. I'm just a minister. Don't put your faith in me. You know, put it, again, put it back in Jesus. And he says, in verse six, I have planted. So he's like saying, you know, I started doing evangelism when no one else was doing it. Apollos watered. Apollos came around as an evangelist and built on what I had already, you know, the foundation of me telling you about the gospel and says, but God gave the increase. So if anything, growth is going on spiritually, it's from God. It's not because of them. It's because of God and his spirit working. And so, um, you know, again, you know, going back to verse 10, where you were talking about, it says, for no other foundation can a man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Again, you know, he's talking about um, his ministry of sharing the gospel and that the point of the gospel is to be founded on Jesus Christ and him alone, because he's the only thing that's going to last. He is that foundation. And he's saying, you know, then going on, you know, if any man build on this foundation, gold, silver, or whatever, um, you know, every man's work shall be made manifest. So basically he's like, whatever you invest into, you know, your ministry or invest into the church, into spreading the gospel, you know, that is going to be made manifest eventually in the last day in the judgment, you know, what your, um, you know, the, I don't say the fortitude, the, um, what's when something goes of substance, something's real, you know, um, that's, what's going to actually, your how genuine you are in your walk with Christ. That's, what's actually going to last. It's not about, you know, like I said, he's like carnal things, like physical things, like, oh, I'm this famous person or this famous preacher. That doesn't mean anything. It's just your sincere walk with Christ. And in the judgment, you know, Christ is going to lay everything manifest, bare and open. And everybody, you know, the, says the books will be opened and will be judged from according to our works. And, you know, God knows from which works um, our, our works come from, whether it's a heart that you know, serve God because we love God or because we're trying to get something out of our, you know, ministry. There are many people who work in ministry, sadly, like these televangelists who, you know, they're trying to make money off of the gospel. And, you know, does that mean that, you know, even if they preach to hundreds and thousands of people, you know, if the the reason they're preaching is because, you know, they're trying to have some sort of selfish gain from it, that doesn't mean that they're ha they have a real walk with God. That doesn't mean they're saved. Um, what matters in the long run, what matters in the end is if we have a real and living connection to Jesus Christ. And if we based our life, our ministry, our preaching of the gospel on Jesus and Christ alone, then that's something that's going to last. And that's something that, you know, even if we are burned, even if anything, everything else, you know, is burned away, 
um, you know, our, our foundation, our salvation will stand because we based it on Christ. So I hope that gives you a little bit more of a clear picture of what I believe Paul is saying here in this passage. Um, is, this is honestly one of my favorites just because Paul is so real and he's just, you know, brass tacks, like, what, what are you basing your salvation on? He's like, don't base it on me. Don't base it on people. Don't base it on stuff, on external, you know, physical things of this world. Base it on Jesus Christ. And that is the point of everything we are preaching, which is Jesus and Jesus alone. So I hope you're blessed. And if you have any other thoughts or questions, please feel free to share them with us. Uh, Jay or Wendy, anything else on that one? Nope. Just amen to that. Praise God. All right. Should we get our next question up? Let's do it. And um, just want to say hello to those of you joining live, including uh, the Facebook user. We don't know oh, who yes. you are, but thank you for saying hi. And if yes. you are tuning in too, just let us know you're here. We'd love to give you a greeting. Yep. All, All right. right. I think we're ready okay. for the next All right, question. There it is. All right. So this question is from Nova, and, and Nova is asking Biblically, forgiveness always accomplishes its purpose of recon reconciling sinners to God. So wouldn't this also be true of human-to-human -human forgiveness? All right. Thank you for asking this question, Nova. And this is a really good one. Um, I think it's really important to understand what is the difference between forgiveness and and reconciliation. Like what what are they one and the same? And a lot of people equate them to the to being the same. And really we need to think first of sin as this departure from God, where we had this relationship with him, and then it's broken that relationship. It's driving a wedge between us and God. And then the question is, who's going to make the first step to bring us back together into a relationship, a harmonious relationship? And the answer, of course, is God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we love him because he first loved us. So God is always the one who's trying to work to bring us back to him. And so one of the steps in that is the forgiveness, where God is going to say, yes, I will forgive you, and I'm not going to hold it against you. And then God also then takes steps to reconcile us. But forgiveness does not guarantee reconciliation. That's, that's an important takeaway here. Uh, let's take a look, for example, at Proverbs 16.6. Proverbs 16, 6, and it says, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. And I just think it's an interesting verse here that, that the word there, atonement, it can mean at one mint. It was a word created by, oh, oh, I'm blacking on his name now. One of the great reformers who translated one of the initial... Moses? No, um, oh. one of the 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 reformers who uh, created one of the first um, English versions of the the Bible that the King James Version was actually based off of. I think it was Wesley, John Wesley, and you know he's like, how what's this word that could convey of bringing two people together who were divided and and reconcile them? And he came up with that word at one mint. and so it's in mercy and truth that there's going to be at one minute. Tyndale. Oh, is it Tyndale? That may have been it. Oh, uh, well, Tyndale, yeah. Tyndale and Wesley both had, oh, maybe it's a bill. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> okay, the Geneva Bible, I think it was. Sorry, didn't mean to. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. We want to make sure we get the facts right. Uh, so here we have mercy and truth. And mercy is a big part of that. But then there's another part of this process. And Proverbs 16.6 uh, in NIV actually says, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. And... Uh, We'll come on. We'll come to that. Let's look at now Romans five, starting at verse eight. This is one of my favorite verses when it comes to reconciliation. It reads, "But God demonstrates His own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His body, we shall be saved from wrath through Him." For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through one, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him 
whom we have received the reconciliation. It's interesting in here, like Paul isn't even using the word forgiveness once. He's focused on the reconciliation and talking about how somehow Christ's death on the cross achieved it. How did it do that? Let's now look at 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 17, and it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. So in a sense, that's kind of where forgiveness comes in. God said, I'm not going to hold your, your sins against you. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as through God we're pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So he's pleading, please be reconciled to God. It's not guaranteed that there is this reconciliation. For he made him who knows no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And I want to stress this part, though. Why must there be so much of a need for reconciliation, have this ministry of reconciliation, and this imploring to be reconciled? Because it isn't guaranteed. We still have the ability to turn our back on God. Even if God has forgiven us, God has, you know, extended his hand and say, hey, I, I don't hold anything against you. Please come back to me. We can still turn our back on him and reject him. And so uh, this is important, I think, distinction to understand. Yes, God can forgive. Yes, God is, is willing to do all he can to restore the relationship with us. But we still, on our part, have to be reconciled to him. I mean, do you think the people who crucified Christ, uh, you know, the Caiaphas and, and you know, all these people all, all along the way who were, you know, trying to kill him, never once ever repented of it. And to their, to their death, you know, felt like they did the right thing and, you know, would never ever accept God's forgiveness. How is there any reconciliation there? You know, and, and just like Satan too, God... God did what he could. Satan has turned his back on God. There's no reconciliation. And there's just a large group of people, sadly, that reject God's offer of the relationship. And God has done everything he can. And so how does this apply for us, too? Uh, it, it doesn't mean that we don't, don't try to forgive people. We've talked before how forgiveness is an important part of healing for ourselves. And really refusing to forgive somebody in our heart is like taking a poison and hoping they die. Mm -hmm. So it's good to forgive. It's good to move on, to um, you know, be at peace, to you know, be willing to value the relationship and hope that it could be restored. But we can only go so far into that. So thank you again, for Nova, for asking. And I hope this is helpful to you. Tina, did you have any thoughts you would like to add to that? No, I think that was really, really good. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, it's a, I think that's so key in our Christian walk. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that. Um, and I just want to say hello to our friends, Jane, James Munghati, uh, who's uh, joining us from India. Thank you. Hi. And he has a really good question. Um, mm -hmm. So if, uh, in, Wendy, do you want to share the question? I actually prepared an answer. Oh, nice. Just okay. keep okay. going. So James is saying, my question is, who who were they in Genesis six two, sons of God? Were they angels or humankind? This is a big debate. <laughs> yeah, it is a big debate, and you know, I, I can only share my personal opinion. I know that you know everybody has their own thoughts on this, but just based on what I see in the Bible, I'm going to say that they are most likely just humankind. Uh, because if you look at Genesis 6, 2, basically the context is it says that the sun, um, you know, in verse one actually says it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. So, you know, after Adam and Eve had, you know, sinned and people were beginning to multiply in verse two, it says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair or beautiful and they took them wives of all which they chose. And so when you look in the Bible and you look at that phrase sons of God, and I know this People have said different things. I understand. But when I see that phrase, sons of God, I, you know, I can't help but look at, you know, 
things like um, Philippians chapter two, uh, where in verse 15, it says, you know, that you might be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Um, again, you know, that verse, um, you know, sons of God talks about um, basically in Romans 8, 14, it says, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so simply to me, what I'm, what I read when I read this uh, verse it's saying that there were God's people and then there was, the you know, and that was the line of, of Seth. Those were people that began to worship the, you know, that started to worship God again after Seth was born. Him and his generation started to worship um, God. And you see that in the line, like Enoch is one of his descendants. And then Enoch, you know, begat, you know, I believe is it Methuselah, which is the father of Noah. And so you see that this was the line, the lineage of God's people or, or in the line of in Seth. However, in Cain, and who else? Oh, Lamech was in that lineage too. Yeah, Enoch, exactly. There was, Lamech. there was, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. And it's funny because there's a Lamech on Cain's side too, I believe. And so, and if you look at Cain's lineage, I mean, these were people that were like brought in polygamy, brought in more mm. murdering, you know, thieves. They were just terrible. They were, the, the, that's what I believe. The sons of God is talking about the line of Seth, God's people, God's rem remnant people that were still going to stay faithful to him. Those, or at least they were supposed to. <laughs> they were from that family line of people that were supposed to be the sons of God, that were supposed to be led by the spirit. But it says, the sons of God saw the daughters of men, you know, mankind, you know, the world, basically worldly women, um, that they were fair. They were pretty, you know, they put more effort into you know, their looks and whatnot. And they took them wives, all of which they chose. And this was kind of the beginning of the end, which is where, you know, basically the whole world became corrupted because you had who were supposed to be God's people, you know, staying faithful to God, being led by his spirit, but they desired something they shouldn't, which was, you know, unbelievers. And so they married these women who were not believers. And then you bring, you know, you can't do marriage evangelism. And so basically it just corrupted both families and you have, you know, basically one last family, Noah, um, as the last people on earth, you know, no one is family as the last people on earth who would, you know, be faithful to God and be saved. And that's why you see only eight people get into this ark. Um, so I do believe that, you know, this is why the whole world had gotten corrupted. I don't think this was I know some people say this is Neftali, this is angels, you know, that the, the sons of God were like, you know, the angels or people from other planets or something. I don't think so. I think this was God's line of people who were supposed to be <laughs> focused on, you know, God's word and on being led by spirit. But I think they made that mistake of an ungodly marriage. And that is the beginning of a lot of problems. And you see that throughout the Bible. Look at the life of Solomon. Um, look at, you know, um, Samson. It's, you know, the... Adam even, Adam was the purest man. Samson was the strongest man. And, you know, Solomon was the wisest man. And they all fell by desiring of a woman that, or, you know, obeying a woman that they shouldn't. So I think, you know, I think it tells a lot of the power women have over the spiritual walk of men. And it is a very um, important uh, responsibility that godly women have to keep their husbands um, or, you know, point their husbands or point you know, the men in their lives in the right direction. So I hope that answers your question. And I hope that you have more questions to come. Uh, Jay, or any, anything else on that one? Yeah, and I just, I think even just looking at the text of Genesis 6, 4, like you, you started there and, and just to go back again, like it reinforced, it says, you know, the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bore children to them. And what do we know about the children? It says the same became mighty men so their children are men he said and then it repeats it men of renown it doesn't say that like some other new thing mm -hmm. uh you know yes it uses nephilim at the beginning it says they, there were giants on the earth but uh, yeah nephilim means giants we don't have to construct like oh there's this some other new species out there so if we really apply occam's razor what's the simplest most straightforward explanation for what this is it really is, yeah. The, the Cain's lineage merged with Seth's lineage, and it really led to just a spiritual corruption of mankind, necessitating the flood. And um, you know, it, people really have to rely on then th 
extra biblical sources written like just before Jesus was born, like the book of Enoch and these sorts of books to come up with these other doctrines mm-hmm. that just, just don't really add to the spiritual story that God's trying to tell us. And yeah, the warning is, yeah, don't mix with non-Christians don't, or, or, or people who are completely of a different faith. Yeah. And the thing is, too, like a lot of people said, like, oh, these are angels. But Jesus says himself in Matthew 22, verse 30, um, you know, he talks about, you know, in the resurrection in heaven, he says in the resurrection, we neither marry or are given marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so this definitely is saying angels don't get married. <laughs> so yeah. in first Corinthians 15, it talked about, you know, even upon the resurrection, we're going to have a different body. We'll have we have an earthly body right now. And then there'll be a spiritual body. He says there's all sorts of different bodies. And why yeah. do we think that somehow there's this ability to merge and mix with them? Like there's. And why do we only see this happening in Genesis 6 and never again? Of course, the, the Enoch story is like, well, God was so upset that then he really, really penalized those people. So everybody learned a lesson, I guess. But it just doesn't really. But then how do you end up with the Nephilim again after the flood? So it, it just it gets really weird when you yeah, don't go with the most simple explanation here. So thanks for asking. Definitely. And we want to say hello to some people who are joining us. Hello to... Olivia, Olivia, and want to say hello to our friend Francine. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Francine. All right, shall All we right. get our next question up? Oh, uh, the next one. All right. Okay. So Robert is asking, was or is Jesus Christ popular? That is a good question. Actually, um, Robert, you asked another question. So I'll let I'll answer this first and then we'll lead into the next one um, because they're very similar. Um, so I want to say yes and no. Um, was Jesus popular? So it, Jesus is probably the most, if I mean he is the most influential person in the history of the world. Um, you know, even thousands of years later, so many people have forgotten people, or you know, only some people know about other people, but Jesus is by far the most influential and well-known name or person ever. So in the sense that he is well-known, yes, Jesus is has fame, he has renown, but popular is a different kind of meaning. Popular means to be liked, admired, or enjoyed by many people. And the thing is, uh, you know, when Jesus was on earth, he was famous. The baby, the Bible talks about his, the fame of Jesus. There are many verses that talk about how Jesus was, you know, his fame went abroad, but was Jesus popular in the sense that did everybody like him? No, because the Jewish leaders definitely didn't like him and his own people, you know, eventually shouted to crucify him. And he was, you know, killed on the cross, which is the most horrible death um, because he was hated. And the thing is, um, I would say, you know, in the sense that Jesus has fame, is he well known? Yes. But is he popular? Is he always well liked by, you know, by everybody? No, I would say he's not popular in that sense. Um, and really and truly true Christianity and true followers of Christ and his message is not really a popular message. I know that there's a lot of churches that say they're Christian, but I would say, you know, the the true message of the gospel to pick up your cross and die daily and die to self is not a popular message. Um, and just talking about, you know, you know, was Jesus famous? Yes. Like he, everybody knew who he was. You look at Matthew chapter four, 23 through 25, it talks about the fame of Jesus. And then again, in Mark 1, 26 and 20, through 28, you know, the fame of Jesus. But I really want to note in Luke chapter five, verses 13 through 16, um, Want to look really quick, Luke chapter 5 and um 15 through 16. Um, geez Louise, I don't know why my computer's not letting me see these the verses. Um, one, two, three, four. I have to count them five, six, Sorry, guys, I'm um, so Jesus talks about um, there's a time where a man was uh, healed of leprosy. And it says, and he put forth his hand to touch him saying, 
I will, you know, that he'll be clean. And he says, be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And Jesus charged him to tell no one, but go and show himself to the priest and offer um, for, and do an offer offering for the cleansing according as Moses commanded. And it says, but so much more went there a fame abroad of him and great multitudes came together to hear and be healed by him of their infirmities. So Jesus definitely, you know, was famous. I mean, he was healing people. Everybody was talking about it. However, was Jesus wanting to be famous? Was he trying to, you know, have notoriety and be popular? It's, no. If you look at the next verse, it says, and he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Jesus was not somebody who was seeking to be popular. That wasn't his mission or his goal in any way, shape, or form. Um, and also a really good example of this is also in John chapter six, verse 15. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. Um, Jesus, you know, feeds the 5,000 and he's, um, basically, you know, everybody's like, wow, like he took two, you know, five little fish and two little loaves and he, you know, fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And so obviously it was, you know, very exciting. It was something um, important. But um, after this event, it says in verse 16, I believe, it says, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. So people were like, oh, you know, because he did something good, he did get popular for a minute. He, it says he departed again into a mountain himself alone. So Jesus was never trying to be um, popular or, you know, well-liked. He was just trying to spread the message of the truth and give the glory to the Father. Um, that was basically more how Jesus um, operated. And Jesus, you know, so again, Jesus was famous in the sense that everybody talked about him, everybody knew about him, but Jesus didn't desire to be popular. And um, just to kind of close on this note, I just want to show a few verses too, as far as, you know, what Jesus said himself about being popular, um, as far as being a follower of him and his true gospel. If you go to John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, um, doo -doo -doo -doo, sorry, John chapter 15, verses 18, 18 through 20. And it says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So Jesus is saying the world hates you because it hated me. And if you go on to verse 19, Jesus continues to say, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So it's not a popular thing to follow Jesus in, in the true sense. And in verse 20, Jesus um, says something very important. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So Jesus is here again saying, you know, the world hates me. <laughs> I'm not popular. I'm actually hated by a lot of people. And, you know, most people don't want to hear a message of, hey, you're, you need to take selfishness and sin out of your heart and out of your life, because that's the essence of the gospel is that we need to surrender to God and, you know, empty ourselves of self and selfishness. And so, yeah, it's not a popular message. And in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 18, um, I don't know if we can get that up as well. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses um, 15 to 18. Just we'll close on this real quick. Can we get that one up or is it? If not, I can just read it. 1 John chapter 2. Let's take a look. All right, I'll go ahead and read that. In just a second, if I can find it, I apologize. Again, I'm having some technical issues here tonight. Um, because um, I apologize. I don't know if we can get it up. Or Jane, if you can help me out, First John chapter two. Um, shall appear. Oh my goodness! I'm sorry. First John chapter two, 15 through 16. I don't know why I'm not finding it now. Um, so again, I apologize. Uh, but basically he's saying, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but it's of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of, of God 
abides forever. And he goes on to say, little children, it is the last time or it's the end of time. And you have heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. We're in the end of time. And there is basically, there's Antichrist. Like there's the opposite of Christ. There are those who are trying to sit in the place of Christ because they either want Christ's position and they want the worship that goes with that, or they're, they want to be a completely opposed to Christ. And so this is just a sign that we are living in the last time. So there is a lot of animosity and hatred towards Jesus and towards true Christianity, um, to be honest. And we see that in the world around us. So um, is Jesus popular? I would say no. Is he famous? Yes. But um, should we seek to be a popular people? No, we should seek to be a, a holy people, a seek to be a genuine people who love God and um, love others, no matter what the cost. So I hope that answers that question. I don't know if we want to get the second one up because I know it kind of goes um, into the same idea and I think we can wrap it up pretty quickly. Sorry, you weren't hearing us. Jay was talking to help you out, but we were on mute. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't hear you. That's All okay. Right. Do you want to get the second question up? Okay, so Robert is asking, is it required for every true Christian to become popular in the future after, quote, every eye shall see him, Jesus, in the clouds? Revelation 1, 7. Um, I would say, again, no. Um, when it's talking about Jesus coming in clouds, this is the second coming. And so this is the end of the world. I mean, at that point, uh, everybody knows about Jesus. Everybody's made a decision already to accept or deny Jesus Christ. Um, so we have no reason to, I mean, by that time we have already done the work, if that makes sense. So again, um, we're not trying, God's people are not trying to be popular, um, but we are trying to get the message out. Like it says in the book of Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14, it says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. So just prior to this end, which we see in Revelation 21, the end of you know this world passing away and um you know in revelation 21 it says and i made a you know there was a new heavens and a new earth so this is talking about the new earth um you know there's no need to be popular in the sense that we don't at that point we will have already done the work but i do want to point out something very important that it does say um in matthew 24 verse 9 a few verses before um and it says basically in verse 9 it says and they shall deliver you up to be afflicted um, during this, you know, times of trouble and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And so are we a popular people if we're being hated by all nations? No, we are not popular in the sense that we are liked. Obviously, this is the opposite of being popular. <laughs> we are unpopular. Um, it is an unpopular thing to be a true Christian, at, especially at the end of time when Basically, people are deciding once and for all, are they going to follow Christ or are they going to follow themselves and the world and, you know, ultimately with the devil? And so, yeah, no, God's people are not going to be popular, um, especially even coming to the end of time. But we will be doing a work of, you know, reformation of preaching the gospel. And, you know, and even if we aren't doing this even, you know, right before Jesus comes, because we don't know the day of the hour, but we do know that Jesus says, you know, from, from his time until he comes again, he, we are going to receive persecution. And we see that in Matthew chapter five um, and verses, um, let me see, sorry, uh, 10 through 15. Basically, Jesus says, you know, uh, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, rejoice <laughs> and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets which were before you. So basically Jesus is saying, yes, when you follow me, you are going to be hated. People are going to persecute you. They don't want to hear the message of Jesus. They don't want to hear, you know, that there's a judgment coming and that they need to make their hearts right with God and make a reconciliation with others. And they need to forgive others and they need to, you know, be forgiven and make things right for sins that they've done. Um, and so, yeah, this is definitely not popular. Uh, we'll be well-known. Christians tend to be well-known. You know, martyrs were well-known, but they were not well-liked. They were not 
uh, popular. And I just want to close this, um, you know, as far as to encourage you in, in your walk with Christ, because um, for me, like when I began to be a Christian, I realized quickly that, you know, when I wanted to follow Christ in a very sincere way, I realized even in my church, I was going, I might have to stand alone. And it's not a bad thing because you're standing with Jesus. And Jesus says um, in the book of Matthew verses 13 and 14, and these are my favorite verses in the Bible. Jesus says, because straight is the gate or narrow is the gate um, and narrow is the way which leads unto life and few there be that find it. So it's not popular in the sense that everybody knows and everybody does it. It's not something that everybody does. Even if they know about Jesus, it doesn't mean they know him personally and have a true genuine relationship with him. And um, in verse 13, I apologize. It says, enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way popular basically is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that go therein but jesus is saying you know go that narrow way go the, the way that's you know not so popular because you know narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it jesus wants you to walk in his narrow way and um you know there will be times where there'll be persecution there will be hardships but the reward is so much better than anything we could ever, you know, go through in this world because we're, our goal is Jesus who is love and eternal life and heaven and eternal in, you know, every good thing that goes with, um, being with Jesus. And I'll close with one last verse. I'm sorry. This is one of my other favorite verses. It's Acts chapter 14, verse 22. And basically Paul says, you know, after he was stoned to death. So yeah, he wasn't <laughs> very popular either. Uh, he was, you know, stoned to death for the preaching of the gospel, but he was miraculously awakened out of his sleep. Um, and it says, you know, he was confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And so it's the tribulation, honestly, probably more than anything is from, is going to be from negative um, things from other people because it's, it, you know, the gospel, it says you're the salt of the earth. And for some people, they like a little salt. You know, those who are genuinely looking for Christ, they're going to like, you know, the, the spirit and the, the Christ in us. But for many people, the salt to them is an irritant. They don't like it. They don't like being told, you know, that God, there's a God and that he's a righteous judge. And, you know, that there's, you know, we're going to have to be accountable for the things we say and do. And so, um, yeah, going back to that. Christianity in in its truest sense is not a popular thing, but it is something that is famous and will continue to be famous. Everybody will know until the end of time. So I hope that answers your question. Jay or Wendy, anything else on that one? Yeah, no, we're, that was good. Thank you. Okay, great. I know we have a few more comments. Um, yeah, I think we're... we're we're asking for a clarification with regard to like oh. specifically what he's referring to. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay. John does. We have John on uh, Twitch who does ask though. He thought he was dead yet not dead? Question mark. I'm not sure what he's referring to there either. But oh, he's thinking. Uh, he's talking about Acts chapter 14 where uh, Paul was stoned. I think I'm pretty sure that's what he's talking about uh, because yeah, he was, and so um, he was thought to be dead, but then he woke up. <laughs> So um, it, it's kind of a questionable thing. Was he completely dead or was he just like almost on the verge of, you know, on the death, you know, cusp, but then, you know, God healed him basically. Um, so that was, I think, um, I think that's what John is talking about as far as, you know, was Paul dead or not dead? That was during that specific time where he was stoned. Okay. And then uh, Robert Newell, thanks for joining us again. Good to have yes. you back. And then he, uh, if you do have a question, drop in the chat. So we'll try to get to it before we close for tonight. Yes. All right. Let's go ahead and get our next question up. All right. So Kimberly is asking, what were the types of fish that were used in the Bible story feeding the 5,000 from the book of John 6, 1 to 59? Uh, um, do you want me to do that real quick or do you want to do it or? Uh, I can answer yeah. it like five seconds, I yeah, think. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I think we had another one in mind. Um, so if you look at the book of um, 
John chapter 6, 1 through 14. Um, that's basically the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And I, I love this story, but I, I won't read that whole thing. But that's where you'll find it is in the book of John chapter 6, 1 through 14. And so basically it says, though, in the beginning of this um, this, this chapter that they were by the Sea of Galilee. And so if you, I think actually Jay was the one that sent me a link about the fish of the Sea of Galilee, which was great because it was it was in harmony with what I had already looked up as well. And so in this in the Sea of Galilee, there's mainly three types of fish that are fished out of there. One is a musht, which is like a tilapia, which is a, like a medium, smallish size fish. Um, there's also carp, which can be kind of bigger. And then also sardines, which, you know, are pretty small, little tiny fish. And so if I was going to take a guess of which type of fish it was, uh, based on John chapter 6, verse 9, it says he has two small fish. So it was either probably a sardine or a tilapia. Um, and the thing was, though, what makes me think maybe it could have also been um, a sardine is that sardines were preserved by pickling them. And the fact that, you know, this kid had probably been there all day with fish, <laughs> you know, packed as his lunch, it may well have been like a pickled um, fish. Or, I mean, it could also have been, um, they did also kind of make like a, what's that called? Poached fish, where it's like made into almost like, um, it's almost like beef jerky or jerky, uh, but made out of fish. So it could have been a tilapia. It could have been um, a sardine um, where the Bible doesn't say but if I was going to take an educated guess, I think that would be it. I don't know, Jay, do you have anything else on that or any thoughts on that one? Nope. <laughs> I learned that too, just looking it up. Cool, cool. All right. I think we have some more, another question uh, then. Robert has a, a question. He just posted his. Are you ready for that one? Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's bring Robert's question. So he says, so Robert is asking, could people's sanctification process vary from other people? Like, does everyone all mature at the same time? How long did it take you to mature in the faith? That's a that's a really deep, really good question, Robert. And I think one verse that comes to mind for me is uh, James 1.14. And it says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn out and by his own desires, or, or is drawn away, sorry, by his own desires and enticed. So, uh maybe I'm reading a little bit more into this text than there is, but we all have our own desires. We all have our own vulnerabilities, our own ways of being tempted. And that is what each one of us is going to be struggling with. And the as part of the sanctification process, God is working with us to, you know, reshape our hearts so that we will have more control over those desires. We will rule over them, kind of like what God told Cain, you know, rule over sin, master sin, don't be mastered by it. And because we each have our own struggles, we have our own experiences, our own backgrounds, our own family, uh, historical sins that we deal with in our families, we're all going to have a different walk. And like a person who's rich, and James talks about it in, um, or James? Yeah, I think it's James. Yeah, James talks about it. And then also a bit Paul, where, you know, when you're really rich, your temptations are going to be not to be in love with your, your money. And not let that, not let greed and pride get to you. But if you're poor, your temptations might be being content with nothing and being content with that situation and not um, desiring to be rich and take money from people and all those things. You're just going to have a totally different experience. So that's why we all have something different. And sanctification is a lifelong process. It's not that any of us are way better than somebody else. As one person put it, uh, imagine the distance between here and the moon, and we're all jumping, trying to be proud that, oh, one of us can jump six feet and someone else can jump eight feet. But compared to the distance of the moon, it's still nothing. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, now, I do want to stress one thing that's really interesting about sanctification is the word to sanctify, at the root of it, it really means to separate. And, and also gets to what does holy mean? It means separated. So when God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, he set it apart. And it's not like something necessarily you can see right away or, or immediately discern. The Sabbath day was set apart. And then God sanctified like Aaron and the priests. They were set apart. And so even sanctification, there's an immediate part where God sets us apart. We're now his child. We're his own. Um, but then there also is that ongoing part of trying to purge the sinfulness that's within us. 
So thank you very much for that question. Um, and and yeah, mature in the faith. I mean, we're always growing. But for me, I, there was a time where I was just take, consuming so much content. Like when I really sort of had my spiritual awakening, I was listening to uh, nonstop Bible, nonstop uh, sermons. And I think it was about two or three years that really I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I see a bit better. I'm a bit more mature in my walk, but it's still ongoing. I'm not saying like there was a big difference there, but when I hit 30, around 30 was a major turning point. And a lot of people talk about that. And interestingly, when was Jesus baptized and he started his ministry? It was at the age of 30. And in the Old Testament, when does a high priest become a high priest? It's at the age of 30. So it's an interesting year for a lot of people. Tina, did you have anything you wanted to add or are you looking at no. uh, John's questions that are coming in? Yeah, I'm looking at John's questions. Coming <laughs> in. But oh, I think that was really good. And I, I, I like this, the thought of the sanctification. It just, you know, it's a process. Like you're saying, it's a lifelong process and we are all on different paths. But, you know, as long as we are striving and moving forward every day, um, that's, I encourage you in your walk with Christ in that way. Amen. Amen. Shall we get our next question up? All right. So Russell is asking, if death imprisons the person in the grave until resurrection, how were Moses and Elijah able to be at the transfiguration on the mount? Yeah, good question, Russell. And it props to figuring out that death uh, is considered imprisonment in the Bible. There are a few Bible verses that use that analogy. One of them, one of them is Isaiah 24, 22, for example, it says they will be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit. And the, the pit often is a word used to refer to the grave and death. And it goes on to say, and they will be shut up in the prison. After many days, they will be punished. So people are in prison and then they will be, and it says, released to be punished. Uh, kind of like how the record will be raised and then face judgment. We then go to Matthew 17, 1 to 4. And this is about the story of the transfiguration where uh, Peter, James, and John go up with Jesus to this high mountain. This is Matthew 17, and we're going to pick up at verse 2. It says, and he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. So how do we end up here having Elijah and Moses meeting Jesus at at the Mount of Transfiguration, what, what we call that mountain now. Well, we actually are told in the Bible what happened for sure with Elijah. Uh, he actually never died. Second Kings starting at verse uh, 2 Kings 2 starting at verse 11 says, and it came to pass as they still went on and talked, this is Elijah with Elisha, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder, parted Elijah from Elisha. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. So he went up. So his, his body is taken and he's um, taken up. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them into pieces. So God took Elijah bodily, like boom, picks him up. So there was nobody left. And Elijah never saw death. So he and Enoch are two people who never, ever saw death. Um, but so that's how we know Elijah ended up in heaven. He actually never was resurrected because he never died. If we go to now Jude, we get to hear a little bit about, well, actually, before we go Jude, let's talk about um, Moses's death. Deuteronomy 34, citing at verse 5. Deuteronomy 34, verse 5. It says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, he buried him in a valley. So th that he can't be referring to Moses. The only other he there would be the Lord. The Lord actually buried Moses 
in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. God didn't let anybody know where he had buried Moses. He didn't want that to become a, a place of worship. Um, we confer from this text. Um, but the story doesn't end there. We actually have a little bit uh, from Jude. And um, this actually is starting, I believe, quoting some other books that are not in the Bible, but uh, it appears to be canonical that uh, it's, it reads, Jude 1.9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, uh, did not bring a railing, uh, did not bring against him a reviling accusation, but says the Lord rebuke you. But key here is though, is we have the archangel Michael, he's going down, he's at the body of Moses, and he's arguing with the devil. Why? What are they arguing about? I, I think it's, we can infer here, again, you know, what, why would the devil have a problem with the archangel doing something with the body? He's claiming, it, it, you got to really read the Bible, but basically the devil is taking advantage of that when we sin, we are deserving of death to then say he now controls us and we all deserve death. We all should be in a grave, and and he's the one that he's the accuser. He's the one that's trying to drag us down into death. And here, God shows up, or you know, Michael the archangel shows up, and he's going to do something with the body of Moses. Could it be he was resurrecting Moses, and this is how Moses then ends up being able to be with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration? So though Moses died. He becomes one of the first to be resurrected, kind of like a almost a, a first fruit too, a sign of or, or a proof to us that we can have confidence that God can also resurrect us because he can resurrect Moses. So the yes, the, you know, the, the grave is a grave and it's like a prison, but it's not a trap. It at some point everybody's going to be raised. As Jesus says, do not marvel at this for the hours coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. They'll hear his voice referring to Jesus. Remember, we were just talking about the archangel. Who is that archangel? First Thessalonians 4.16, it says, for the Lord himself. When Paul uses this language, he's referring to Jesus. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we will have victory over sin in Christ. And for Christ, this is nothing. To raise the dead, I mean, how many times did he raise people? Raise Lazarus, uh, raise kids. And now we see in Revelation 1.18, Jesus says, I am he who lives. And was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. He has the keys. He can unlock that prison and set any prisoner free. So praise God for that. We say we serve the Lord of life who does not want us to be trapped in death. That's the devil that would love for us to stay there, but God is going to set his people free someday. So thank you for asking. Great question. Amen. Anything you'd like to add? Uh, <clears throat> I just thought, if I'm mistaken, but in Jewish tradition, it also says that I think after like three days that uh, Moses was resurrected too. Am I wrong? Or I don't. I don't that's know. What I understood. That, that's interesting. I mean, you could be quite right on that. I always figured it was a short amount of time. But... It's not in the Bible, so I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, that's what I thought. I was trying to look it up, and I didn't see it for real. So I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't, <laughs> I shouldn't say anything if I don't know for sure. But that's what I understood to be Jewish tradition as well. But um, yeah, definitely the Bible does give us a lot of evidence that, um, uh, you know, Moses was definitely resurrected, and which I think you know um, is is really cool because. Uh, you know, when you look at Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, this is basically Jesus was showing them his glory, uh, you know, a glimpse <laughs> of his glory. And here you see people that never died, or someone that never died and somebody that died and was resurrected. And it's kind of like a symbol of, mm -hmm. you know, his second coming that this, this is when God's people who will never die, you know, they'll see Jesus come and people that, 
were died and resurrected, they this is we'll all meet Jesus together. And you know, like it says in First Thessalonians 4, thus shall we, you know, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and you know, those that are with him, and then we shall be caught up together with him, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so I, I think this is also symbolic of that, of that special day as well. So yeah, I love that story. So thank you for for the question. Um, I think that is uh, all the time we have for tonight, though. And we just want to thank everybody for joining us. And thank you for your comments and questions. And if you have a question that you would like featured on our weekly show, be sure to go to our website, bibleask.org forward slash live. And we would love to um, formally um, present or feature your question on our weekly show. And just remember that we are live. So be sure to come back again next week at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we would love to spend um, this time with you answering Bible questions and getting to know, um, God, diving deeper into God's word together. So we just uh, want to close tonight with a word of prayer and um, just pray God's blessing on everybody. J.R. Wendy, do you want to pray for us? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for each and every person who submitted a, an amazing question and for all those who joined us. And we just um, pray that your spirit can be with us all to really just guide us into your truth and into your love and to have hope for um, not, no matter what happens, that you have the power over death. And we also pray that you can help us to be humble and um, and have the confidence that even if we, whether we have popularity or unpopularity, or if we are rich or poor, that we will just be content with our situation in life as you continue to sanctify us in your truth. And this we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you again so much, everybody, for joining us. And we hope that you have a blessed evening. And we hope to see you again next week, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. God bless you, everybody. Good night. Good night. Bye.